Ladies and gentlemen, throwing my pin at you. How's that make you feel? <laughs> Boys and girls, children of all ages, Kansas City. Welcome to the ninth edition. We're almost a double digits. We're almost a double digits. Ninth edition of Tapped In brought to you by the KCP, brought to you from the KCPN studio at Taps on Main in the heart of Kansas City. Thank you for joining me today. 421. Did you all see our announcement? Did you all see that beautiful, shining, amazing announcement that we made at KCPN yesterday? Joining forces with the pitch, May 15th. Are you ready for that? You're going to be able to get all of our content on the Pitches Network. Awesome, beautiful announcement that we made yesterday all over social media. It was a thing of beauty and an absolute marvel. And we don't have enough Marvel in this world, so I hope you got a chance to take a look at it. If you haven't yet, go check that out. Uh, we're going to jump right in. I always lead off. It's the springtime. Royals, uh, not so sharp of late, unfortunately. I was so excited to really try and take it to those stinking Tampa Bay Rays on Monday and... Well, things just haven't quite gone in our favor there, folks. So uh, we'll just jump right in with Monday's 1-4 to loss with a uh, Tampa Bay pitcher, Josh Fleming. He of the Bridgeton, Missouri native son. And he got to come into Kansas City for the first time with a lot of family, not just coming from a little bit over in the, on the other side of the state, to watch him uh, pretty much kick the crap out of the Royals. So that was, that was a lot of fun. He didn't, he'd only given up two hits going into the sixth inning. And so he's off to a brilliant start for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. And, well, that just sucks for us. So, because, I mean, screw Tampa Bay already. You all heard how fired up I was over the weekend, and I'll get to... Something else that kind of fired me up with Tampa Bay here in a minute. But uh, bright side that came out of that game for sure, though, is Danny Duffy's continued just absolute brilliance. Uh, he went six innings, four hits. There were two runs allowed, but both of them were on errors. And so no, no earned runs allowed by Danny. Uh, two walks and then eight strikeouts. He was dealing. And unfortunately, it was the errors by uh, Carlos Santana and Whit Merrifield, and which enabled Tampa Bay to get their runs across. And uh, the Royals weren't even able to get a run across themselves until the ninth inning when uh, Jorge Soler hit a sack fly to bring in the one and only Salvador Perez. Uh, which, again, I mentioned how Salvi has been absolutely dealing. He's cooled off a little bit, but, I mean, after the week that he had last week, you're you're bound to come down from that. I mean, I detailed on the tailgate podcast, which will come out later today, uh, about the ridiculous the the week of Salvi that was this last week. Uh, but he has he has just cooled down just just by a smidge. Uh, but I mean, who hasn't? Danny Duffy, and so he is now two and one on the season with 18 innings pitched, 14 hits allowed in those 18 innings, six walks, only three runs, only one of them an earned run, and 19 strikeouts. Danny has been absolutely on fire, and it has been a lot of fun to watch so far. Yes, you can maybe say it's something to do with the contract year, but I don't care what anybody has to say about that. It's just a lot of fun watching him out there. Bury me a Royal. Well, at this point, he's going to be a Royal for a long time because how he's pitching, they're not going to let him go anywhere anytime soon. So we move on to Tuesday's game. Uh, it was a football score. We lost 7-14. to So... Thanks, Tampa Bay. You kicked us again by a football score. Kicked our ass again by a football score. Uh, 17 hits allowed by the Royals staff yesterday. 
I've been very high on Royals pitching so far this season. I'm not very high on their performance last night. Uh, I was watching the game for uh, for a bit last night when it was seven to five. I'm like, okay, here we go. We can do something. Got the bases loaded, and and then Andrew Benintendi just grounded out to end the inning, and I tuned away for a little bit. And when I came back, it was eleven to six, and I well, crap. So and that's again pretty much how this series with Tampa has gone. And most of Kansas City's interactions with Tampa have gone of late. Just a very much a, oh, crap. Uh, but again, I'll dive into more of that in a second. Uh, yeah, 17 hits allowed. Brad Keller just not looking sharp whatsoever. He had a really good start his last time out last week, and then he just pitched another dud. And so you really have to be wondering if there is something going on, whether it's mechanics, whether it's injury, whether he's just not feeling right. But through uh, <clears throat> through three, four starts, not looking good. He's one and two with a 12 ERA, uh, only 12 innings pitched out of those four starts, 16 earned runs, and 22 hits, nine, nine walks, and only nine strikeouts. Brad Keller not looking good. And unfortunately, it was other members of the bullpen that didn't look so sharp yesterday either. You had Irvin Santana come in and give up two runs and two innings pitched. Uh, Kyle Zimmer, who had been absolutely nails all season, Four runs in one inning, and then Greg Holland in not even a full inning, only two-thirds of an inning, gave up three runs. And so the Royals' bullpen, the pitching altogether just got absolutely blitzed. It was so bad with Holland only giving it, with Holland giving up the three runs in the two and the third, and that was in the ninth inning. They brought in uh, Hansel Alberto. They moved him over from third base onto the mound to face the last batter. Just like, we don't want to exhaust any more of our bullpen arms. Let's just try to get the hell out of this game. It's, we're taking the L. We're down 14-7. to seven. Let's just get the hell out of Dodge at this point and move on to the series finale today. Uh, there were some bright sides. Obviously, the Royals put up seven runs. They've been going through an offensive swoon. You saw Carlos Santana go two for four with a home run, three RBIs. Uh, Nicky Lopez continued to hit exceptionally well. And both he and Whit are the Whit Merrifield are the only two Royals batting over 300 at this point. But when Nicky had uh, was two for four with two runs scored and two knocked in. And Santana currently is batting 250. Salvi is batting 270. Michael A. Taylor is batting 269. Again, I mentioned Lopez and Witt are both over 300. But unfortunately, we also have some guys batting under the Mendoza line. And that's something you don't want to see. And in, especially it's names you don't want to see. It's Jorge Soler, Andrew Benintendi, and Hunter Dozier. I mean, we just gave Dozier a big contract. Benintendi was our big, uh, big acquisition on the trade market. And Solaire is a guy we're just two years removed from hitting from being the, uh, excuse me, setting the Royals' new home run single season home run record with 48, smashing the previous record by our beloved Mr. Mike Mustakis, who I will just will tip of the cap there to you. Um, but yeah, so it's very concerning some things. But again, obviously there are bright spots. They are still nine and seven, so it's not the end of the world. We a football score yesterday to put us to what. Well, it's not going to be a football record anymore. I mean, nine and seven is traditionally. I see that. Then I was looking, and it's at this time of year where most teams have played sixteen games in baseball, and so I'm seeing all these what in my mind are football records. But that's about to change because the greeters in the NFL are, the, excuse me, the owners in the NFL are greedy and want more money. So we're going to not have records like nine and seven anymore. You're going to have nine and eight and seven and 10 and weird stuff that's gonna suck but anyway um not the royals they're gonna win way more than that or i'm sorry the chiefs i'm all mixed up now it's not a nine and seven world it's not a 16 game 
NFL season anymore, so it's got me on my tongue all twisted and tied up. So, uh, but no, Nicky Lopez is looking sharp, fortunately, um, and that is definitely a very good indication and a very encouraging sign, as I've said before. Especially because I've talked up how Adalberto Mondesi, the Royals are waiting for him to try and come back soon, and recently Royals trainers pointed out that he is his oblique injury is something with a six to eight week time frame for him to be able to come back and start working out. And he's only in the third week of that. And so that's something he's – Mondesi is probably still a bit away. So Lopez playing like this, he's definitely far from a hole in the lineup. He's actually one of the stronger points in the lineup at this point in time and playing solid defense at shortstop. So, But the Royals finish out the series here tonight. Uh, hopefully they can get one more away from Tampa Bay. Michael Waka is on the mound <clears throat> for Tampa Bay against Jake Junis, who – he has, he has also been pitching exceptionally well, and if he can continue doing what he does and try to earn another opportunity at, a, at another start, then that would be a good sign for the Royals before they head off to Detroit for a three-game stand back on the road on uh, Friday. But the other thing that came out of this, uh, this, this weekend here, and it was a very shocking moment for me after I recorded Tapped In this past Monday, and that was when I, I just out of the corner of my eye, I see on MLB Network warm-ups at Kauffman Stadium, and there is somebody in blue wearing a Tom Brady jersey. And I about flipped my lid. Gat had to be like, hey, hey, we're getting a little salty over there. And I said, well, how dare those Tampa Bay Rays come in and just troll Royals fans like that, troll Chiefs fans, troll Kansas City like that. How dare you come into my hometown and try to troll us? And then I find out that it's actually Salvador Perez is the one wearing said Tom Brady jersey. And I come out to find a little bit later on that it was Salvi having lost a bet betting on the Chiefs with former Royal and current Tampa Bay Ray Brett Phillips over the results of the Super Bowl. And Salvi being the honorable man that he is agreed to wear the Tom Brady jersey in their first matchup between the Rays and the Royals this season. But to Salvi's credit, and not just as an honorable man, but as a Kansas City and an adopted son here in Kansas City, he walked through and he said he gave the camera the the, the, the Kimbe Mutombo, no, 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 and about wearing the Tom Brady jersey and straight up said Patrick Mahomes is the best. And, of course, this went viral and was on social media, and Tom Brady commented on it as well. And what the Royals said is a picture, or sometimes uh, words are worth more than actions and Tom Brady actually responded to that on social media as well saying it's just like well actions speak louder than words and then our own part royal owner as well Patrick Mahomes decided to chime in as well and commented on Brady on Brady's tweet saying yeah we'll see about that in 20 years Oh, just, oh, be, be, be still my beating heart. Just, oh my gosh, the love I have for Salvi and, and Patrick Mahomes right now. Like, ah, it's a good time to be in Kansas City and folks, even if the Royals are struggling a little bit, they're still handling their business and they're still showing that, hey, we are a force to be reckoned with here in Kansas City. Speaking with a force to be reckoned with here in Kansas City, obviously the Chiefs have the draft coming up. Need to hit on some draft picks this year. Not going to find a Patrick Mahomes. Nobody's going to find a Patrick Mahomes in this draft. I feel like that's a pretty safe assumption to make. But we can hope very much that the Chiefs will make significant contributions to the team. We look at that 
2020 draft. It's been a very strong draft. And I'm going to have a little bit of fun here for a second and actually go over some past Chiefs drafts. I'll do this fairly quickly. This is something where I, I mentioned how I went to the Royals game this past Sunday, and I was given a homework assignment by uh, my uh, my fr my fellow tailgater out at the game, uh, my friend Mike Stevick, Ponch, as he is fre I've frequently referred to him as, who will be joining us for the draft show, but I'll get into that uh, here in just a little bit. And uh, so he gave me a homework assignment, said, I want you to list the five best draft picks for each of the Chiefs seven rounds in their entire draft history. So we're talking their first draft, 1961, as the Chiefs. And that's uh, I have to go back that entire time and list the five best picks in each round. Now, I'm not going to list every single one. I'm not going to go over every single one. But I'm going to go over some of the more interesting ones, as well as some of the duds. Uh, because some of the rounds the Chiefs have had very, very little success in. But I, I first off want to start with some picks that the Chiefs made that unfortunately never did contribute to the Chiefs, but are definitely some big names. Uh, Roger Staubach, the Chief, he was the Chiefs' 16th round pick in the 1964 draft out of Navy. Roger the Dodger, who of course would go on to Hall of Fame and one of the all-time great quarterbacks at uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, no, not on your top 10 list, but I mean, if you ask pretty much anybody in Dallas, the, Roger the Dodger is definitely a name that garners a great deal of affection down there in Dallas. And uh, another one, Gale Sayers, who the, the Kansas Comet and uh, came out of Nebraska, went to KU and was drafted by both the Chiefs and the Bears. And unfortunately, he fortunately for us, he went to the Bears. And went on to have, while a very short injury-shortened career, it was still a sterling career that ended with him being enshrined in Canton, and deservedly so. Uh, but a few key names. In the seventh round alone, the Chiefs have had a couple big names. Uh, Bobby Bell. Hall of Fame linebacker, and Fred Arbanis, who I just mentioned this past Monday, had passed away over the weekend. Uh, they were listed as my number one and number two seventh-round picks that the Chiefs have ever done, and which is it's shocking to think about that the Chiefs were able to get a player like Bobby Bell, one of the greatest linebackers in the history of the game. They drafted him in the seventh round in 1963. Yes, the game is a lot different now, but still, that's that means he was he was well into probably the late hundreds, uh, around 200 or so before he would have been drafted, and maybe maybe even into the 200s at that point. Uh, the sixth round is where I mentioned where some of them it's a little bit sketchy. Uh, our um, sixth round pick, the best uh, out of all of our sixth round picks in 60 years, the best sixth round pick, by my estimation, is the good doctor, Laurent Duvarnay-Tardif, which a big, uh, just a small bone to pick with you, Chris Sims. I know what you. I heard what you said when you were talking about some of the Chiefs' offensive line situations, and you called him Mister. I think like Darny Tar or, or Tardy, Tardy Dardif, Terry Dardif. You, you said something that was very disrespectful, and I understand you're not going to know all the names, but this was the guy that was the first one to opt out last season for COVID, and he's also the only freaking doctor to ever play in the NFL. If you fig if you haven't figured out his name, get it right. Be professional. Be better. Sims. Uh, yes, Dr. Laurent Duvarnay Tardif, best sixth round pick by the Chiefs in their NFL history. It does indicate that it's probably not a strong history in the sixth round for the Chiefs, but especially because number two name on that is Raheem Nunez Rochez. And uh, he's a guy who just isn't on the Chiefs anymore and just beat us in the Super Bowl. So that's spectacular. But uh, number one pick in uh, it's a very 
receiver-heavy fifth round for the Chiefs. Tyreek Hill, far and away the best fifth-round pick the Chiefs have ever had. But you also have Dante Hall, Joe Horn, Carlos Carson that the Chiefs also drafted in the uh, fifth round. Fourth round, another leadoff with a great, another great receiver. Otis Taylor should be in the Hall of Fame. Best receiver the Chiefs have ever had. Well, now that Tyreek's around, he'll be the second best. But uh, Otis Taylor, who was the pr- – when you talk about guys like a Terrell Owens or an Otis Taylor, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Randy Moss, Otis Taylor was the prototype for those guys. Otis Taylor was well before his time. Jared Allen, fourth round, Johnny Edwards. Uh, and then, of course, I, I mentioned Legereus Sneed because I think he's off to a really special start, what could be a really special career. Third round is absolutely nails. Will Shields, Travis Kelsey, Jamal Charles, Justin Houston, Albert Lewis, Gary Spaney, Dustin Colquitt. Too many names. Third round, tremendous for the Chiefs. That's why I really hit, like, really got to hit those third-round picks. That's where we find a lot of our key players. Uh, second round, Willie Lanier, Chris Jones. I listed Jones, too, and I think he deserves it. The Nigerian nightmare, Christian Okoye. Uh, Tim Grunhard, Rodney Hudson, a couple fantastic centers. Uh, Grunhard, probably the best center in Chiefs history. Uh, one of the best centers in Chiefs history. Hudson, wish he could have come back. Uh, this past offseason. And then the first round, names like Derek Johnson, Tony Gonzalez, Buck Buchanan, and Ed Buddy in 1963, an extremely strong 1963 draft that I think was the best the Chiefs ever had with Buck Buchanan, Ed Buddy, Bobby Bell, like I obviously already mentioned, and then Gerald Wilson, who was the punter and is in that ring of honor. Four guys out of the ring of honor all came from the 63 draft, uh, two of them in the first round. DT, the legend, may you rest in peace. Derek Thomas, but number one, best first-round pick, best draft pick the Chiefs have ever made. The MVP, baby. MVP, MVP, Pat, Patrick Mahomes. You are far and away the best pick that the Chiefs have ever made. Because, hey, buddy, you turn, you put us back on the map. You turn things around. After Alex Smith set the stage, you were the one that took us to that next level and took us to the promised land. So are the Chiefs going to find somebody like that at 31? Most likely not. They are not going to find somebody who's going to really be able to ascend the franchise into some astronomical, amazing era. But they are somebody, hopefully they can find somebody who can help Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey and so many of the other key players, Teron Matthew, Chris Jones, keep the Chiefs at that elite level and keep them as a team that we stave off others in the AFC and we continue with our AFC dominance and being the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. And because I don't see the situation with the offensive line happening again. We've already obviously made the improvements on the offensive line. They will they will most likely try to find a draft pick at 31. And there's just a few names that I wouldn't want at 31. Namely, don't take Michigan tackle Jalen Mayfield. Ty on the tailgate has already been down about him. We don't need Mayfield because the last time the Chiefs took an offensive tackle out of Michigan in the first round, it was Bell Jenkins. And you, if you don't know that name, good for you. And if you do remember that name, I'm sorry if it causes any heartache for you because it's an absolute bust. And the Chiefs were terrible at drafting offensive tackles in the mid to late 90s. And so John Tate was the best, but that was also their third attempt at a first round, at a, at a tackle in the first round over a five-year span. We were not good at it. And so we need to try and find a hit this year. And again, just don't go with the Michigan guy. Don't go with the Michigan guy. All right. I'm going to step off Matt's soapbox for a minute. So it's not here to hate Michigan. That's I, I don't take issue with Jim Harbaugh. I don't take issue with, obviously, Ty. I love Ty James. And 
and I know he's a big Michigan guy, but he, again, he also doesn't think that Mayfield should be the, should be taken in the first round. So uh, we're going to move off uh, into what is the biggest story of the last 24 hours, and that is it's the conviction of Derek Chauvin. Rightfully so. Uh, what's he was convicted on all counts in the murder of George Floyd. And it is a day that brought yesterday brought a lot of celebration among others for true justice being done in the American legal system. And here on Tapped In, we couldn't agree more. Uh, the defense for Mr. Chauvin, I'm not going to call him Officer Chauvin because I don't think he deserves that right. Because uh, I've met a lot of really good police officers in my life, and that's that's a man that doesn't deserve to be considered in the ranks of some of the men that I have met. Mr. Chauvin's defense tried to say that there was two cases of legit reasonable doubt, and those those incident or those situations were whether the actions that uh, whether the actions actually caused the death, whether Mr. Chauvin's actions actually caused the death of George Floyd and also whether those actions were allowed under the Minneapolis Police Department's policies. And due to those, and he also tried, to, the defense also tried to point out things saying, for example, that the bystanders who were saying that George Floyd was dying, that that actually distracted the police officers away from the declining state of George Floyd's physical condition. And he believes that the previous 16 minutes and 59 seconds that were not recorded during that nine minutes and 29 seconds in which he was being kneeled upon, that those previous 16 minutes and 59 seconds should also be taken into account. But the reality is this George Floyd was not the man on trial. The actions of Derek Chauvin were what was being discussed and what was on trial at that point in time. And while the defense may believe that the prosecutors did not prove beyond reasonable doubt that it was Derek Chauvin that contributed, that led to George Floyd's murder, and you can say, again, whatever you want about Floyd, this wasn't Floyd who's on trial. There's a saying called, a picture, a picture is worth a thousand words. Then what is a damn near 10 minute video of a man being killed? A man being kneeled on to the point he can't breathe anymore, that whatever else was going on in his system, anybody who has watched that video has been visibly disturbed, myself included, countless people I've talked to. That video is worth a hell of a lot more than a thousand words, and we saw that happen yesterday, in which it was a situation in which our criminal system actually got a W, and there's far, far, far too few W's in situations like this. And I think a lot of credit actually needs to be sped to the 17-year-old girl who was the one that recorded this, Darnella Frazier, up there in Minneapolis. And if she didn't record that, Derek Chauvin might just be another guy, another police officer who got away. And so it's, it's justice being served. And that's here on Tapped In, and something we do on the Tailgate Podcast too, is we want, we say we want people to be better. And what happened yesterday is a step in the right direction towards accountability, and it is a step in the right direction towards America being better.
and that is huge. And so that's all I'm going to say on that. I'm going to finish off this edition of Tapped In today with something that is pertinent to it and something that will make all of us probably laugh a little bit. Uh, the Raiders decided to make comments on this, uh, and the Raiders sent out a tweet saying, I can breathe for 2021. Now, I can't breathe is something that Floyd had said over 20 times over the course of the incident that happened in Minneapolis last summer. And it should be noted that Floyd's brother, after the, this conviction was announced yesterday, did come out and say, as in, in speaking on behalf of the family, we are able to breathe again. But the Raiders coming out and tweeting something that says, I can breathe. Man, just come on. Come on, Mark Davis. Come on, Raiders. I understand why you said it. And I understand that there was a good, just really humane intent behind it and trying to trying to get behind something that the rest of the that so many others of the in the rest of the nation were feeling very positive about but this is also it's unfortunately that something i can breathe was was a phrase that was already co-opted by counter counter protesters after the eric garner death by the police back in 2014 when he said, and so many other athletes, so many black athletes in the NBA were wearing shirts saying, I can't breathe. And that's where counter-processors would say, I can breathe. And yes, it was seven years ago. But to have up a shirt that says, I can breathe, again, I understand the intent. And while I think it noble, ultimately incredibly tone deaf. And Floyd's brother did come out and say he's not offended. A lot of others in the media have said they're not offended by it. But... And Mark Davis has defended it, saying he, he meant no disrespect, which I believe. He just tends not to have the best, he tends to have some questionable decision making. Look at the haircut. He still continues on with that haircut. Anyway, that's just me being, an, that's, <laughs> that's just me being a Raider hater, which is made a lot easier. You know, we're, we're worried about a lot of things going on in the Chiefs kingdom right now. But ultimately, it's minute stuff. When our owner's not out there going, our, our owner, CEO, Clark Hunt's not going out there and making comments like that and doing things like Mark Davis does. So be happy that we're here in Chiefs Kingdom and that we're here able to be Chiefs fans because, man, if you're a Raider fan, we, we can sit there and watch what they're doing over in Vegas and be rest assured that, uh, well, folks, the Raiders are going to Raider. So that's going to finish out this edition of Tapped In. Thank you for joining us on this lovely Wednesday. We will be right back at it on Friday, and also stay tuned. Next Thursday, we've got the draft game again. Tailgate versus the Spoken and Midwest Mics. It's going to be a lot of fun. Tailgate has announced that uh, 87 and Travis Kelsey's 87th and running is our foundation. Please go to my Facebook page. I will share it. Uh, Ty James has shared it. Aaron Passau, Passau has shared it. Uh, check out any of us. We have GoFundMe set up for this for the 87th and running, but please go there and donate because it's it's just it's it's us helping kids. It's us having fun doing this draft game, pushing KCP and making things bigger along with the spoken and the fellows at Midwest Mics, and then trying to help kids here in Kansas City. And so that's that's all the wins. And uh, so please go there and donate. And once again, I will see you next Friday.